good morning, church family. How are y'all doing this morning? Oh, that was so weak, you guys. I know it's only, I know it's 8.30 in the morning, but give me a little bit more than that. How are y'all doing this morning? There we go. 8.30 is excited to be here. Would y'all stand up for me? Uh, Church, this morning we're going to teach y'all a new song and something that's kind of been happening in a, in Shelby Christian recently, we're seeing God do some amazing things. We're seeing God bring people here that have never been here before. We're seeing people come back that have been gone for a long time. We're seeing lives get turned around by what God is doing here at Shelby Christian. And recently I was hanging out with one of uh, my wife's cousins, who's also a worship pastor. And he showed me a song that him and his church wrote because they're experiencing a lot of the same things. I think God is doing something in the church at large. Do we believe that today, that he is doing something new? He is bringing some revival to his church today. And that's what this song is all about. It's called, This Is Revival. Saying, God, we're seeing you do these amazing things. We're seeing you turn lives around. We're seeing your spirit poured out. We're seeing lives be changed because of what you're doing. And this is revival. So this morning, as we teach it, would y'all Sing with me uh, and just make this your prayer. Make it your declaration over today. Let's sing this. Oh 
Church, y'all can be seated. Good morning, church. It's me again, Paul and Bobby, after last week's communion, where he gets ovations and claps and cheering. Bobby's the only person I know who can take a Saturday Night Live skit with Tina Fey talking as Sarah Palin, saying she can see Russia from her front steps and makes a communion out of it. This morning, we're approaching the Tower of Babylon. It was humans' chance, audacity, some would say responsibility, their demeanor to try to be equal as God. We're going to build a tower as high as the heavens so we can become face-to-face with our Creator. And I'm bringing this up because I looked at, when I was notified, hey, you're doing a due communion, you're following Bobby. Okay, I, I got to fact check this guy and make sure I'm on it. So I started Googling the Last Supper and looking at Wikipedia and can I come up with some dates? Can I come up with some facts? Can I even have Bobby be like, oh, wow. And none of that happens. Because in the last week of Jesus' life, there's nothing spectacular. There's not a huge announcement There's not these cool facts or cool numbers. There's not even this tower that says, look at me. No. The last week, what does Jesus do? He washes the feet of his disciples. And we see about this, it's like, I could wash the feet of disciples, my best friends. But then we start to go down the list and we know the facts. Peter's going to deny him three times. Can you imagine your best friend in your last week? Maybe the worst day of your life. Saying, I don't know that person. 
Absolutely not. I did not hang out with this person. I didn't love this person. I don't know this person. Leave me alone. And the person who's going to stab you in the back the most, who's going to give you over for some pocket change. This is how Jesus celebrated his last week here on earth. And then the break bread. And still not to point fingers, not to ridicule, not to say I'm better than, not to build a tower up. But to say, listen, when I leave you, and that's going to happen very, very soon. Guys, do this in remembrance of me. Not how I built a tower and overcame and conquered humbled myself I washed your feet I broke bread I broke myself for every single one of you so this morning as we partake and we do this in remembrance it's our human nature to say look at me look how great I am what can I do to get ahead that's probably the furthest thing to be more like Jesus is saying God I am nothing I'm lucky to wash someone else's feet. I'm lucky to have someone that might deny me that I can turn around and embrace and say, I still trust and believe in you. Someone that we could say, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice everything I have so you may live. Heavenly Father, God, all these things were done in your name. Your son came down, took on a body, took on pain, took on ridicule, took on the cross, even took on death of all of our sins, just so he could illustrate that this isn't the end, that that was the last week on earth, but which started an eternity in heaven, where he was supposed to be to begin with. So let us humble ourselves. Let us take a seat back. Let us get knocked down if we have to in these next few minutes as we remember. All these things we ask in your name we pray. Amen.
What's up, church? You guys had a good week? Okay, so I just got to say something. I've waited my whole life to say. Six and O. Oh, that's all I got to say. Go cats. Oh, man. You know, there is no good way to get out of Lexington at midnight after like something like that. So uh, we'll, we'll get through this, though, okay? Uh, and for those of you guys that are on, on fall break and traveling and watching us, uh, those of us that are here, say have fun, be safe, uh, and, and glad that you can connect with us in this way. I, I wanted to say also about the online campus that if you've been watching online and don't live right here close to us and just have connected with us uh, from out of our region and you like to be really connected with us. Uh, if you would like to get our weekly e-news, just in the comment bar on whatever platform you're watching, uh, just type your email in and we will get you that e-news. Or if you would like to stay up with a sermon series, uh, Bobby writes uh, lessons every series and we can digitally send you those so that you can do the Bible study that goes along with the sermons. Uh, we'd just like to really connect with you in any way possible. Uh, I miss being uh, here last week, but I loved watching. I loved being connected online and watching and you know i'll be i'll be really honest the best combination watching from a deck in the mountains of colorado with a cup of coffee but worshiping here was the coolest thing in the world it was the coolest thing in the world and so uh glad that we get to do that next week we're gonna start a brand new series uh called we ready and it's all about being ready for heaven it's on the book of first thessalonians so if you want to jump in and read ahead that would be great but today we're going to finish our series that we've been calling epic these epic stories from the early part the first 11 chapters uh of the bible the book of genesis to give us so much history. And last week we left off uh, after the flood. Noah and his sons and their wives uh, had survived the flood. They built the ark. They got on. All that happened. And then as they come off in Genesis chapter 9, then God tells, it was recorded in Genesis 9, God tells them to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, to, to fill the earth, to populate the earth. And, and so that was their, that was their, really their one and instruction in life not a bad job i guess to to be fruitful multiply replenish the earth and, and so they started doing that and as they started doing that and they they started spreading out and then there was at least one group that got to a place where they felt really they felt comfortable and so they decided to build a city. And while they're building the city, somebody said, well, let's build this tower. And let's build this tower all the way to the heavens. And this tower wasn't so that they could worship, but it was a pride-filled scheme to establish their superiority. What a great group they were. What a great clan. What a great tribe. Eventually, what a great nation they were going to be. And their superiority over anyone in everyone that would come in their path. So if you got your Bibles this morning, I want you to open to the book of Genesis. I want you to open the book of Genesis. We're at chapter 11, and we're going to look at about the first nine verses of chapter 11. They're going to be on the screen, but I love it if you've got your own Bible so you can kind of read along, take notes or whatever. Here's what it says. It says, at one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language. Now, let me stop right there. All right. If you have read the Bible, and you, or if you haven't read the Bible and you just want to glance back one page, 
to Genesis chapter 10. In Genesis chapter 10, there's this genealogy of the sons of Noah and their descendants. And right after the ark, as they start doing their thing, they're being fruitful and multiplying and filling, replenishing the earth. And it says in chapter 10 that each of the clans had their own language. All right. And then we get to chapter 11 and it says, and they all spoke the same language. And a lot of people try to use that to say, well, the Bible's contradicting itself. No, what chapter 10 is, is like the, the, the 60,000 foot flyover. Here's, here's how we got all these new nations and all these new tribes and, and then, and they all had their own language. But chapter 11 is, uh, let's tell you, let me tell you how that happened. And Moses recorded why that they all ended up having their own language. Because you think about it, you come off the ark, you got mom, dad, three sons, their wives. They all spoke the same language, okay? And then as they start replenishing the earth, everybody's on that. That's what chapter 11's about right here. And then as we're going to see, there was a reason why God said, okay, you guys really need to scatter out and everybody's going to have their own language. So I just want to stop and let you know that so that it doesn't trip anybody up because the more I researched this week, it's amazing. I found all these articles about from people that are using that as one of their main things for not believing the Bible because Genesis is 10 and 11 contradict each other and one's just explaining the other that's it let's move on all right uh, and verse 2 says as the people migrated to the east they found a plain in the land of babylonia and they settled there they began saying to each other let us let's make bricks and harden them with fire in the region bricks were used instead of stone uh, and tar was used for mortar okay and then they said Come, let us build a great city. Look at this next two words. For ourselves. With a tower that reaches into the sky. And this will make us famous. And keep us from being scattered over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower and the people were, that the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with the different languages and then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why this city was called Babel uh, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages in this way he scattered them all over the world and then what was the problem with them all doing well together what was the problem with them all being successful did you notice as we read through those nine verses how much how many times the focus was on them and not on God how many times it was talk about glorifying self and not glorifying God see God did create them in his own image and man can come up with some incredible plans these people had incredible plans I want you to take a close look at what's going on here these people in these nine verses we can see that they were unified we can see that they had a great vision, and we can see they're willing to work hard. You can do a lot of things with those three qualities. In fact, a lot of employers today would say, if I can find somebody that will work in unity with our corporation, that has a great vision for what we're doing, and is willing to work hard, they're in. We want those kind of people. And, and so, you start, they were all unified. They spoke the same language. They're unified. They're working together. 
As he said, you've got Noah, his three sons, their wives, eight people. Eight people. Obviously, at that point, they all spoke the same language, and they're unified. Now, just two chapters later in the Bible, we're seeing the city being built. The city is being built after they were told to keep spreading out and fill the land. They, no, we're, just, we're, we're good right here. We're good right here is kind of what they're saying. And, and just like the first descendants of Adam and Eve, as, as the world is created, and you got one man, one woman, half sons, there, there's, there's got to be, there's got to be some people marrying close relatives. There's, there's no other way around it. And it's the same thing here. It's just cousins at the very least, because there's really no choice. And the more I, I read through that this week and thought about it, I just you know, I kind of had all these Jeff Foxworthy quotes going through my mind. You know, you might be a redneck if kind of stuff. You know, you know, might be a redneck if your dad walks you to school because he in your class, you might be a redneck then, you know. You might be a redneck if you ever climbed the top of a water tower with a bucket of paint to defend your sister's honor. You might be a redneck. This one really applies. You might be a redneck if you go to a family reunion to pick up women. You might be a redneck. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of stuff that's going on here because from Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, over time came vast, vast numbers of people. And they did all speak the same language. And it's apparent that they were working together for a common goal. Let's face it. There is a lot of power in unity. We know that today because quite often today, the reality is, don't we see just the opposite of that? Don't we see the chaos and the destruction that comes when there is not unity? Whether it's in a family, in a church, in a corporation, uh, in a state, in a country, where there's not unity, it's chaos. But there's power in unity. Here's what the book of Ecclesiastes says. It says two are better than one because they can help each other, protect each other, and even keep each other warm. They accomplish more working together. So the first quality that we see here in man's man's incredible plan was they were unified. But we also hear see here they had a really clear vision. You know, I I, I imagine and, and you gotta know all the history here. I'm gonna give you some, some biblical history. I imagine one day someone said, Hey, let's build a tower all the way to heaven. What a Nimrod. No, that's really his name. That was the that was the guy who was the leader. That's actually a, a biblical name. He was the son of Ham, who was the son of Noah. So this guy, this leader of this particular tribe, is the grandson of Noah. His name was Nimrod. You just can't get past that. Can you? you can't make that stuff up. And he led his tribe to to somewhere out in the middle of nowhere in the land of Shinar, uh, in what was historical Babylon that is now Iraq. And they decided they were going to establish a village, a place about 60 miles southwest of Baghdad, Iraq, is where this is all going on. And as, as the building was going on, someone suggested, building the city, someone suggested to Nimrod, let's build a tower in the center of this that would go all the way to the heavens. Think of it, a tower that would be able to reach to the heavens. 
I mean, that's incredible stuff. You know, the World Trade Centers were incredible. The replacements, incredible. Before that, just the Empire State Building. The Sears Tower in Louisville. What vision, or in Louisville, in Chicago. What vision, what vision. You know how that Sears Tower and much of downtown Chicago really came about? In, in, in 1909, there was a man named Daniel Burnham who was uh, a renowned architect. Now, history would say one of the greatest architects of all time. He laid out plans for the modern city of Chicago. It was 1909. Now, Chicago was already there, and Chicago was already a significant city. It had hosted the World's Fair uh, in 1871. The, the Great Fire, excuse me, in 1871 was the Great Fire. The World's Fair was in 1893. And so, so it was already a significant city. But Daniel Burnham had this plan, this dream, this vision. His plan both beautified the, the city, the, the, the lake area down, downtown, and, and improved the efficiency of commerce. There was everything from green space to highways to railroads. The, the width of the roads increased to allow more people to come in. He was setting Chicago up to be the largest city in America between the coast. And his famous quote with his city design was this, make no small plans. Make no small plans. They have no power to stir men's blood. Dream big. Dream big. And yet, you know what? You know what the Bible tells us? Is that there is a God who can do immeasurably more than ever, whatever we could hope or imagine or dream. But, but, but Daniel Burnham had these great dreams. I, he would have loved the Tower of Babel. Uh, 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 Pastor Ray Pritchard uh, said that he imagined the conversation this way. Somebody sharing the Tower of Babel with Daniel Burnham and, and him responding, a tower that reaches to the heavens? That's a great idea. We'll use bricks instead of stone. It'll last forever. I, I'll call the bank and I'll set up the financing. We'll borrow money uh, at prime plus one percent. The city council will float a bond issue for the rest. We'll rent out the lower floors for retail, put families in the middle, reserve the top floors for multinational corporations looking for this great office space, will be the envy of every city in Mesopotamia. That was kind of the idea and the vision of this great tower. So they had unity. They had a great vision. And add to this, they weren't afraid to work hard. And so the tower starts going up. Remember, these are these people that are built. They're the descendants of four men who spent 120 years building an ark. They're not afraid of hard work. And building towers or monuments was, was, had become somewhat normal or common in Mesopotamia at that time as the people spread. They built monuments as reminders. And the earliest signs of civilization have, have been found in that area, the southern Tigris and Euphrates, where they come together. It, it, it's where ancient Babylon was built. It, as we said, it's modern-day Iraq. And in the middle of that area, archaeologists have actually discovered these stair-stepped pyramids in the region of Mesopotamia that are called ziggurats, steps to the heavens. See, hard work is good. 
There's nothing wrong with hard work. And we, we, whatever you do, do it all for the Lord. But their potential became misdirected, and they defiantly chose their agenda. Let's do this for us and not for God, rather than carrying out his will. Take another look at verse 4, if you've got your Bibles open still. Look at verse 4. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. Do you see one big problem in that verse? What was their directive from God when they got off the boat? Go be fruitful and multiply and spread across the earth. Scatter across the earth. And now just, and we don't know the years in between those times, but, but we do know in Scripture, in two chapters later, they are strategically saying, let's do this so that we won't be scattered. It was a big plan. It was a blood-stirring goal so that it seemed really good. God nixed their project before it was ever completed. Tore it all down. Why? Because this plan demonstrated the defiance of mankind against God. Guys, we're still in the early pages of this wonderful history book. We're still really early on. How many times already has man chosen something that became defiant to God? How many times do people choose it today, and why would we be surprised? It's been going on since the very beginning where man has come up with their own incredible plans and not the plans of God. So let's, let's finish this up this morning by looking at God's incredible plans. See, Scripture tells us some really important things about God's plans for mankind. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 19, verse 21, the International Version reads this way, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. New Living Translation says this about the same verse, You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Remember what Jeremiah wrote? He's speaking for the Lord, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God has incredible plans for individual lives, but, but even bigger, God has plans for the life of man that are being derailed as man continues to defy God. See, after the flood, God had given this very definite plan. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. We keep saying that. We keep saying it because that was his plan. When, when, when the ark landed and the water receded and they got off, that was the plan. Be fruitful and, and increase in number and fill the earth. But the people, as they started moving, became content. They became comfortable. And they decided to build cities to their own glory rather than fulfilling the mission of God. As I was reading this week, I thought, it's kind of like, kind of like the early days of the church. Kind of like right after the day of Pentecost. Because right before the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came and the church was born, what were Jesus' last words? And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the rest of the world. But what happened? 
day of Pentecost comes and it's rocking. I mean, people, things are happening in Jerusalem that nobody had ever seen before. It was an incredible experience. Lives are being changed. People are being baptized by the thousands and it's happening every day. I mean, they're just kind of collapsing and not going to sleep, getting up the next day and they're meeting in each other's homes and they're sharing the gospel and people are being baptized and the church is exploded. Who wants to leave that? Why would you leave Jerusalem? Because God said so. Because God said so. He said, you need to start here and you need to move on. You need to keep going. You need to keep spreading this thing. And so, but because they got comfortable and they got content in Jerusalem, guess what happened next? Persecution. And God didn't cause it to be allowed. And all of a sudden, okay, now we're running. Okay, but they're taking the gospel with them and it spread. And, you know, God said to these descendants of Noah, you know, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. We're kind of going to stay here and build our own city. Okay, I'll tear the city down. Or at least I'll tear the tower down and I'll confuse your languages. I wonder how much is going on today that God's hand is still at work causing some confusion to wake people up. See, I'm convinced that was really what was going on in Babel. The, the, the stoppage of this building of this man-made desire and the confusion of languages was another effort to wake people up. And as people today continue to, to, to defy God, to go away, God allows things to confuse us, not to cause trouble, but to wake us up to what his plans for us are. And and so they didn't want to leave. They didn't want to keep spreading the earth. They they didn't want to leave Jerusalem. It's kind of just like when churches today become satisfied with nice buildings and classes and small groups that we can attend and really cool stuff for the kids And we don't follow the will of God individually to spread the gospel to all nations. And when people get satisfied and comfortable and think when we've arrived and I got my own seat and this is a cool place, God's going to confuse things to wake us up to the mission of letting the whole world know and not making us famous, but making Jesus famous. You see, it really didn't matter if these Nimrods, I, I just love saying that, <laughs> it didn't really matter if these Nimrods had unity and vision and worth, work ethic. Uh, they were never going to build a tower to heaven because it wasn't the will of God. It, it wasn't God's will. I, I want you to look how, real quickly, and we're, we're almost done. I want you to look quickly at how they lost sight of God's plan to replenish the earth. First thing they did, they let their pride get in the way. They they weren't interested in getting to heaven. They just wanted to be like God. That was what they wanted. What was the original temptation? Hey, the reason that God doesn't want you to eat that tree is, or the fruit of that tree is, if you eat the fruit of that tree, you'll know everything he knows. You'll be just like him. Satan continually tempts us, wanting us to be feel like that we can achieve a level where we're just superior. That's what got Adam and Eve. That's what got these folks. Their pride got in the way. Now, it may play out in different ways. 
It may play out in different ways. People might not actually think I want to be God or I want to be like God. But I promise you, as soon as you reach a level in any context where you're like, I got this. I, I got this. I'm good. I don't need no. I got this. You're getting ready for a fall. Because it's all about you and not all about God. The second thing they did was that their pride got in the way and then their pride led them to just outright disobedience. They didn't do what God told them to do. And God is referred to over and over again as a what? Father. What do good fathers do when their children disobey? Good fathers, when their children disobey, step in with some corrective measure, an appropriate corrective measure that goes with the level of disobedience. So God stepped in and said, all right, this, you're losing focus, and he confused their languages. And then their disobedience actually really showed a lack of trust in God's plan. I'm amazed all through the Old Testament and some of the big epic stories that are throughout the Old Testament. Incredible things that happen. I mean, God allows Moses to to lift the rod and part the Red Sea and, and all of the people, the Israelites, go through the Red Sea on dry land after how many years? 400 stinking years of being slaves. And then this miraculous thing and they got to, the same people got to walk through. I mean, if I'm walking through the Red Sea, there's a part of me that yeah wants to get to the other side there's a part of me that's going holy cow how'd this happen but then the bible tells us as soon as they got to the other side what did they start doing hey moses there's not a mcdonald's over here we don't have anything to eat we were better off back there as slaves these folks the descendants of these folks just spent months in a boat with no land in sight anywhere. And God allowed them to land on Mount Ararat and to start over. And already, they're disobedient. They forgot. And the reason is, it's always easier, humanly, to stay planted in the familiar It's always easier to stay in the comfort zone than to step outside and really trust God. I'm praying really hard. I'm praying really hard that God's going to allow us to step out of some comfort zones and, and to do some things that may not seem logical, might push us, might make us uncomfortable. But I think that's what he wants. Because there's still people that don't know Jesus, right? And isn't that the most important thing? And all we do, isn't that the most important thing? You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail.
So you got wrap this up. The, the Tower of Babel was an ancient power game for people who felt this inner need to be number one. And, and when God evaluated and saw their unity and their vision and their, their hard work, I, and he heard them communicate. He listened to them share all their hopes and all their dreams of building this tower. Look back in verse 6 one more time. He says, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them in the physical, in the physical. See, unity, vision, hard work, but without the blessing of God. And it left themselves in a quandary. Physically, nothing might be impossible. They could accomplish anything. Why do you think people, the world, so many of them having absolutely no interest in God's will, you know, think about the things that that man has done that has nothing to do with the will of God or very little. Or maybe it is for this or maybe it's not for that. We've created, think about in our lifetime, forget 6 and 0 for a moment. Think about the things that have happened in your lifetime that nobody would believe. Artificial intelligence. My dad worked at the University of Kentucky for 35 years. He was part of the team that put in the very first computer at the University of Kentucky. It took a room with multiple air conditioners. And now I got one on my wrist. Think about that. Think about artificial insemination and families that have been able to be created. Think about gender reassignment. Oh, my goodness. Man-made. Space travel. Good, bad, I don't know. The the World Wide Web. Hmm. You know what the World Wide Web did? It kind of undid what God did here in Babel. From confusing everything, it allowed worldwide communication in real time anywhere. Yeah, I'm amazed. I, I, I text friends in other countries. I can text Yousef. Right now, he's probably watching right now. He usually is in Pakistan. Real time. Communication. See, many of man's designs are fine and, 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 and it's all well good because we were created in the image of God. And because of that, we have intelligence to do amazing, amazing things. But is it in God's will? Is it in God's design? He's given us this tremendous capacity for advancement. advancement. So much is possible without the blessing of God. But when you keep God fully in the equation, that's when it gets fun. That's when it gets exciting. Because then you add to the unity and the the vision and the hard work and you add God's blessing on top of that, then things get amazing. Uh, Many of you have been to Springfield, Kentucky. Uh, Until a few years ago, there was a beautiful, beautiful college campus there, St. Catherine's College. But seemingly, seemingly on the surface, a few years ago, it tragically closed its doors because of the economics of running a college. Only now, it's reopened. But it's not a college. It's the Crown Recovery Center. 
a facility that's used for facing alcohol and drug addiction, a college campus. We just beg and plead for a house. And God gave a college campus. Uh, Crown is part of ARC, which stands for Addiction Recovery Center. There are about 30 ARCs all across the state, and they're really similar to Isaiah House and some other places that are that are Christ-centered. But they understand the holistic, the holistic needs of recovery, and that it's more than simply praying into prayer and asking for the desire to go away. And so they offer detox and crisis response, but they offer impatience and outpatient care. They teach life skills. They provide job training. They offer this year-long program for both men and women to commit to to a new life of sobriety with the help of Jesus because it's very Christ-centered. It it all kind of got rolling because of a guy named Tim Robinson. He's the founder and CEO uh, of ARC. And just, I want to read his story, just a period, in his own words. Here's what he said about himself. He said, I started drinking in my first year of law school at the University of Kentucky to cope with my mom's passing away during finals. For the next eight years, I drank myself almost to death. But 15 years ago, while I was a prosecuting attorney in Lawrence County, Kentucky, a court bailiff who was a recovering alcoholic and pastor led me to Christ. He then became my sponsor and my pastor. Addiction recovery is personal to me because I am a survivor. And so he went from there, and Tim resigned as the prosecutor in 2008 and 2010. He opened the first residential addiction recovery center for women in Eastern Kentucky, it had 16 beds, 16 beds. Now, 11 years later, on the campus of a closed down college, there are 450 men in recovery and 30 women in a separate building. And that's just one campus out of the 30 that are across the state. (laughs) Unity, vision, hard work, and God's blessing. Tim Robbins is a real deal. He's smart. He became a lawyer, an attorney. He's driven. He's a hard worker. He's built a team of these paid professionals and, and volunteers that are far more than anyone could have ever dreamed possible, far more than he ever dreamed possible. Unity, vision, hard work, the blessing of God, that's what we should all long for. And so, guys, this, the bottom line is this equation, our potential Plus, God's power equals a lasting impact. We can learn all that from this epic story. Would you guys stand with me? What makes that story epic is God's hand. What can make your life and your story epic is inviting God into your life. And if you haven't done that yet, we would invite you to do that right now while we sing the song. Jason would love to talk to you.
Once you give life, you give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore.
Amen. Amen. Hey, this is your first time here. We are so honored that you came to worship with us today. Uh, we'd love to get to know you just a little bit. We've got a gift for you today. Out in the lobby, there's a big orange wall. says, I'm new, and we've got a team of people out there. Uh, there's a bag with a gift in it. We'd love to have you stop by there. Uh, if you have been attending here for a while and are ready to take a next step, uh, our next Pathways is actually October 19th, which is a week from Tuesday night. You can sign up for that online. You can go back into the next step room back right through that door and some people can help you get signed up tell you more about that programming wise real quick let me run through some things just real quickly here number one it's fall break so there will be no youth programming on wednesday night this week uh this week only we'll be back in the regular thing our fall family fun festival which is the new trunk or treat but it's over on the athletic field uh is wednesday night october 27th uh our youth team uh, really needs some folks that will do tables instead of trunks uh do tables and candy or if you can't come and want to just help out if you want to bring bags of candy for that and just put them in one of the bins out in the lobby that would be really great today is the last day for the cotonino bags all right we need those returned uh if you didn't bring it this morning you got time to run home get it bring it back we'll be here till one o'clock or so uh or bring it up here tonight uh and we'll figure things out but uh, we need those back today uh and then finally the last thing is also in addition to our fall family fun festival on the wednesday night before uh, halloween festivities uh on saturday night when we have the citywide countywide festivities uh, we would love to once again have some love your neighbor events which is just uh, people life groups whatever maybe setting up a, a canopy a tent or whatever on the driveway the front yard and several neighborhoods across the community and just uh, meeting your neighbors and just sharing uh, about uh, your life and getting to know people maybe inviting them to church and hoping that they'll get to know jesus just through some connections that we can make just by loving our neighbors so that's what we do that's what we do so let's go do it let's love god love people let's change the world see you guys next week